I'm Craig Fisher, and this is Inside Talent, where we take you into the minds behind the scenes and show you some of the coolest tools and best practices of some of the coolest people in the talent industry. Inside Talent is brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Today, I'm talking with Jerome Tiernick, founder and CEO of Smart Recruiters, about how recruiters can be change agents when the world needs them more than ever. Hey, it's Craig Fisher and Jerome Tiernick. Hope everybody's doing well. Jerome, how are you? I'm doing great. Nice to uh, nice to be there with you, Craig, today. So we are live on your LinkedIn profile, and I'm just sending a we note are. out to everyone on LinkedIn to join us. Um, and we will be uh, recording this, so we'll have the video uh, for future watching. And this will also be on the Inside Talent podcast, uh, where you can find us at insidetalent.org. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. Jerome, how have you been? What's going on? Tell me about what's uh, what's happening in your world. You know, I think uh, my world has changed uh, like everybody's world. Uh, and I'm a recruiter at heart. So in those times, I tend to lean in, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like um, saying to the team, uh, uh, to a certain extent, uh, yeah, we sell software to recruiters and, you know, our world has changed. Uh, but on the other side, millions, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs and we're in the business of connecting people to jobs. Right. Um, so I think our, our our job has actually become much more important. And it's a, it's a good time for everyone who's, who's a TA leader, a recruiter, a sourcer, a technologist to actually stick together and That's step right. up to say, how are we going to put the economy and people back to work uh, when this thing opens up again? I've been having a lot of uh, conversations with uh, TA leaders and then uh, with other thought leaders like yourself. Lars and I do this thing on Fridays on his 21st Century HR podcast. And I told him uh, recently about a conversation I had with Carrie Noon from CVS and uh, about, you know, how do you do employer branding in, in this time when you don't want to be really rah-rah about your culture? But if you are in a hiring mode, as CVS is, uh, when so many others aren't, how do you kind of message that? They're actually in a partnership with Hilton and Marriott to take on their furloughed workers for some warehouse and call center type jobs. And the agreement says that they can go back to their furloughed jobs when the furlough's over, or they might find themselves a place at CVS. Yeah, so that's kind of a cool uh, example of the kind of collaboration that we're seeing. But recruiters themselves need to be thinking, how can I uh, reinvent myself here and be a change agent, you know, to help uh, this mm -hmm. cause and, and to help themselves when a lot of recruiters are also sort of sitting on the bench right now? Yeah, well, we, we actually had a good example of that in the Netherlands, um, where we uh, we partnered with over 100 recruiters um, for an initiative called recruitersforgood.nl. Uh, uh, and where they're inviting people who've been laid off uh, to actually sign up into a, into a CRM, in fact. And then on the other side, recruiters can coach them, help them, help them identify jobs uh, and, uh, and coach them. And that's actually uh, been a really popular initiative. Um, we've done a similar thing in, the, in Lebanon for uh, jobs, um, uh, jobs for Lebanon. Jobs for Australia was another one. Uh, we're coming up this week, actually. Uh, there's a big uh, uh, industry-wide uh, initiative coming out for to help recruiters, so recruiters recruiting recruiters. So I'm seeing a lot of those like joint efforts uh, to pull talent and to help each other. 
um, and the example you gave um, at CVS is uh, is something that I would encourage other companies to do. Um, we've repackaged uh, our CRM, so the, the candidate relationship management part of the smart recruiters platform as a redeployment platform. And so now inside of seven days, uh, we're able to deliver a turnkey redeployment platform to anybody who wants to take impacted talent and uh, help them find jobs either internally or with partner companies like you outlined. Right. Um, and we've done this now a number, uh, a number of times and it's actually really helping. And it's like switch, you know, switch uh, a quick a quick switch and seven days go live. Which is great. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, we, we're able to be creative in times like this, but most employers, uh, you know, when they're in business as usual mode, don't even know who they have available in their own organization because they don't have the, the kind of data to understand, you know, what is the updated profile of the people I hired seven years ago and what are they doing right now? And, you know, how could, how could I move people around? So, uh, you know, I, I think, there's probably a lot of things like that that TA leaders should be thinking about right now. What are some other things that they could be doing, you know, during this sort of downtime? Yeah, I think TA leaders here, um, to your point, one, they have a, a real responsibility to step up in redeployment and internal mobility. And in, in it varies by organization, but sometimes TA is more like, hey, you guys are the external recruitment guys and internal, yeah, it happens around the around the, the coffee machine. Now TA leaders need to step up and uh, use their technology, their know-how, their processes, their teams to say, we got to protect our employees as best we can. So for sure, if we have some open jobs, we should make sure that we're not going to hire anybody outside unless you know we have checked internally first. So that's one big thing, and we're seeing a lot of this happen. So partner with the CHRO and the CFO to minimize the impact of furloughs and redeployments and eventually layoffs that may be coming. And the second thing that I think you do is, how do you actually use this time if you're in a hiring freeze or slow hiring mode? How do you use this time to upgrade your technology, your processes, uh, and to upskill your teams? And in particular, um, how do you use this time to replace uh, and upgrade your applicant tracking system? We see a lot of companies that actually have been running on outdated ATSs and they know it. And they're like, yeah, I just, I just don't have the time to change it, right? Well, now you might actually just have the time. And replacing your ATS is like, uh, is like replacing the engine of the car, right? It's a lot easier when the car is parked. So use this time and go to the CFO and say, hey, we got this ATS with three other bolt-on system. I want to replace it, put in a modern one. I'm going to save costs by uh, increasing my conversion on candidates. So my sourcing and advertising costs will go down. We're going to increase collaboration with hiring managers. So we're going to make better decisions than before. And my team's going to be more productive. So I reckon we probably need two thirds of the team we had when we started. The CFO is going to like, great, good idea, right? And they might actually say, yeah, and good you told me because otherwise I didn't know what you were going to do in the next few months, right? So I love your car analogy. That's great. You don't want to install a new engine when it's time to use the car again. Yeah. If, if your car needs some maintenance, do it now. And so if your recruiting engine might need a little jumpstart because of, uh, you know, some not so great processes or an ATS that you haven't been real successful or happy with, now's a great time to do it. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And then for your teams as well, 
how do you actually keep your teams on smaller scale, on smaller projects, uh, engaged, happy, and productive? I don't know. Uh, is your referral program optimal? Probably not. Okay, so hey, someone in the team want to actually take a look at the referral program, look right. at what's best practice, come back with a recommendation. We're going to use this time to in enhance our referral program. Or we're going to look at all our job advertising and what channels and where and how and optimize that. Or you know what? We we always have these interview scorecards. They're kind of outdated. They don't really help us make good decisions. All right, great. We're going to tackle how do we actually do interview scorecards. And the list goes on and on and on of things that you could be doing that you know you should be doing. Like, I don't know, measure your net hiring score. Have we ever measured our net hiring score? Do we know if we're hiring great people? Well, maybe now would be a good time to do that. Right. Uh, we're, we were working with a customer the other day on transitioning from measuring time to fill to measuring hiring velocity. Simple change, uh, but it, the hiring velocity gives you a better, uh, a better uh, sense of how hiring is going. And it's exactly the kind of project you never do if you are busy feeling right. That's right. But if yeah, you had and, some more time. yeah, if you had more time, you could do it. And I think that's a good shift to make. It's a better statistic to track. I don't think time to fill is very valid or equal across the organization. Hiring managers are all different. And if you can check on how they're doing individually and compare them to each other, boy, it gets to be a competition and they, they straighten up quick. Absolutely. And you know, it's, this is a very interesting, uh, interesting balance, actually, because the, as you say, time to feel is like, okay, my time to feel is 43 days. Like, why do I care? Like start earlier, right? right? You know, it's like, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. The only thing it means is that this along with cost per hire is like faster and cheaper, faster and cheaper. Don't add value, please. I just need to be, you to be fast which is the opposite of what recruiting should do. So when you change that and you show up as like hiring velocity, the percentage of jobs that are filled on time, now you say, okay, my hiring velocity is 85%, which means as a CEO, I know that if I decide to invade Belgium, the soldiers are going to be there on the day of the invasion, right? And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm from the north of France. But uh, you see what I mean, right? Hiring velocity is business velocity for CEOs. And that metric uh, is really an interesting one to introduce. And I would argue, that in a business today, uh, I actually talk about this um, uh, a lot, but in the business today, you give hiring velocity as a metric to the manager. Manager, it's your job to get your jobs filled on time. You're going to hire 25 engineers next quarter. How many did you hire? That's your job. And you give the net hiring score, which is the quality control to the recruiter. So the recruiter is not incentivized to place people fast. The recruiter is incentivized to make sure we hire the right people. Right. And the moment you actually have that interaction, whether the recruiter is not incentivized to close jobs by like whoever we can find that the manager is going to accept. But on the other hand, they are incentivized to raise the bar. Now suddenly your recruiter is incentivized to find good candidates, to be a good partner to the manager. And the manager is the one that's like, okay, I need my headcount, I need my headcount, right? So that's the shift from just hiring people to hiring great talent. Yeah. And you talk about that uh, a lot in your book. Uh, Jerome's got a new book, Hiring Success, and it's a great book. It right here. There it is, yeah. Uh, and he tells a lot of really good analogies and stories in the book. And one of the stories that you tell is about exactly that. You're talking to a, uh, a CEO of a bank and asked him if he's you know, hiring great people. And his response was typical, right? He, yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think I do. And <laughs> then I, I actually, I, I poked at him and I said, well, wait, do you hire the people that Goldman Sachs didn't want? And right there, he, he really paused and he, he went, you know, you could see that actually the, the fact that talent is a competition, that who you hire defines who you are. It defines your ability to compete, defines your ability to innovate, to sell, to service it. If you, as actually as a leader, who you, who you hire defines you as a leader. And the, the, the fact is that CEOs actually understand they understand that. That's why they put hiring top talent as one of their top priorities consistently time and time again. But then what do they do against that? They pass it to HR, to TA, and then they go time to fill, cost per hire, faster, cheaper. Mm -hmm. There's a gap here. There's a That's misalignment, right. right, between the expectation and the reality. And frankly, there's a misalignment business-wise because we all know that great talents is three to five X more productive than not great talent. Right? That's right. They don't mean a good person versus a bad mm -hmm. person. Talent is a human being that's in the right job. You can be talent at any that's level, the right? Yeah, the right? It's job. important to uh, uh, to know that. So I have a great match of people and a great fit, which is actually what the net hiring score measures uh, mm -hmm. uh, on a scale of one to ten. How much of a fit is this job for you? On a scale of one to ten, how much of a fit is this new person, this new hire for you? And then you do an NPS score. 9 and 10 minus 1 to 5, and you end up with a positive or negative score that tells you, are you hiring more great fits than poor fits? And the results are actually surprising uh, in many organizations. I'm sure it is, because what many organizations do currently is NPS score alone or nothing, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not measuring very well most of the time. No, no I think quality of hire is a... Is a aspirational metric at best. You measure it at the end of the first year based on the performance review and the edge of your grandmother. It, it doesn't really uh, uh, doesn't really make its way back into hiring practices in most organizations. You know, so it's funny. You also talk in your book about your experience um, uh, training paratroopers. So you were a leader in the in the French army for a while. And uh, that's a little bit of the same thing. You started developing some of these measurements of who's gonna make a good soldier for you know this particular type of uh, yeah. skill and, uh, and job. Uh, talk a little bit about that. And then I think we've got a question from the audience that we'll address. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, um, in, the, in the army, so I was a lieutenant in the paratroops and I was in charge of the boot camp. So literally, I would see a bus coming with 40 uh, kids, 18-year-old, long hair, first day in the army, looking miserable, right? And over 60 days, we had to turn them into well-behaved soldiers, uh, ready to do whatever they needed, and maybe eventually to give ultimate sacrifice for their life. It was really interesting to see the interaction uh, in this group. And I learned a few, I learned a lot of things that during that time. But one thing that stayed with me is your personal limit your boundaries are a lot further than what you think they are. Uh, and so the power of the group here in achieving things that seem impossible uh, is, uh, uh, is, is real. So I believe in as one, and I believe in pushing your boundaries would be my two main, uh, um, two main learnings from those times. So some of the audience members are, are saying that uh, we've got some bad trends in hiring. Uh, this actually... Um, speaks right to that uh, because uh, most companies, uh, Stephen commented that most companies can't even tell you what a great hire is. Mm -hmm. And I think most companies, like you were just saying, 
um, don't have a way to measure what a great hire is, and they don't push their people in order to understand whether that person could be the great hire that they need to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think that really, uh, um, uh, that really needs to change, right? Because as recruiters, we are paid to help a business hire amazing talent on demand. There's a definition of hiring success, right? Hire amazing uh, talent on demand. Right. And if we don't measure amazing talent, great talent, how successful those people are, then we don't measure the outcome. If we don't measure what we deliver, then we are only measured by how we deliver it, which is faster and cheaper, cost per hire, time to kill. So we got to change that. That's the right. net hiring score is this survey I talked about, 90 days into a hire on a scale of one to 10, how much of a fit are you for this job? How much of a fit is this new hire? We ask both the manager and the candidate or the new hire. And it's a really interesting one. It's so simple, it's, you know, it's just a, 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 a single measure but it actually is a very, very good pointer. The first time we ran this survey was for a very large tech company here in Silicon Valley, over 10,000 employees. And we ran the survey and in 52% of cases, either the manager or the, or the candidate said, ah, no, not great, right? Now you bring this to the CEO and you say like, sir, 52% of your hires are like, this wasn't the best decision I made, right? On either side. And now you can actually start to picture the downstream impact of that, right? And driving the business towards higher outcomes uh, is, a very, uh, uh, is a very clear measure. Once you are equipped with your hiring success metrics, hiring velocity, 80% of our jobs are filled on time, nice. Your net hiring score, positive 10. And your hiring budget, not as a cost per hire, but as a percentage of higher salary. So 5% of our new hire salary we invest in recruiting. Now you can come to the CEO and say, okay, boss, if you give me a bit more budget, I'll actually, I think I could take our hiring velocity to 85%, which would make the business more agile. And uh, we could uh, push up our net hiring score five points, right? Now we're having a business conversation. That's right. Because before, right? How do you go to a meeting and say, next year, I think we should double our cost per hire, right? Nobody ever did that. Well, why not, right? You invest in recruiting to get great talent, just like you invest in marketing to get customers. It's the same. If you paid somebody a little more and they were a better fit for the job, you could sometimes even fill two roles with one person, yeah. uh, right? Because if there, there are people that have that kind of capacity if they're really good for that skill set area. Uh, the other thing is we got a comment from the audience about uh, generational uh, inefficiencies, uh, right, in the in the workplace, and that uh, it's it's kind of a given that we're going to pay older workers a higher salary, but sometimes younger workers are uh, at a maturity level for the type of role that they might themselves deserve a bit of a higher salary. And conversely, there's a lot of older workers who have done a big job, a C level job, and now want to just do some good work, right? And they too are sort of discriminated against as too high level. Uh, and they'd take, a, they'd take a lower salary and they could be really, really good. So I think these are, these are some things we should start looking at more. Yeah, I agree. And the, the, the start of that is um, to have a, uh, a very uh, strict selection process. And I think we, we allow our selection criteria to be way too loose, uh, way too loose in who evaluates candidates. You know, the hiring manager has a conversation and then tells you, okay, I'll hire him. Okay, 
why, how, how does it compare, right? Um, and way too loose in criteria because most people all are, you know, their job interviews. Go tell me about yourself, right? Which is actually not a structured interview. And so in the book, I talk a lot about this, that you need one, a hiring team and how you build your team in having peers, in having diversity in the team actually is really important. And two, you need structured, uh, a structured scorecard that focuses on the must achieves, not on the must haves. Must be able to write great Java code versus must have a degree from Stanford and five years of Java experience. I won't care about that. Right. And especially in a world where most skills are acquired, where the world moves fast, where you can actually uh, go and certify yourself on super advanced technologies online and like, ooh, this all becomes uh, uh, not as clear as it was before. And therefore focusing on the must achieve, almost like you run a performance review of that person before you hire them. It's like, right. okay, in one year, you'll have your performance review. What are you going to grade them on? How much have they sold? And have they done this? Have they done that? Okay, great. Well, why is that not your interview scorecard? And then you evaluate people on that. And if we did that, I think we'd end up with a lot more young people being given the opportunity because they actually are able to deliver the job and a lot of older generation people still being given the opportunity because actually they have everything it takes to do the good job. That's right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think if we do come together like that more right from the top and from the bottom, we're going to be in a better place uh, in the long run and we're going to be much more efficient. Do you think that we're going to get to the point where we're saying, and I know some companies already are, show me the kid who finishes Fortnite the fastest each time a new season comes out, right? <laughs> show me the kid who uh, acquires the most uh, you know, gold in Minecraft and, and is able to, you know, uh, network their way through winning a game. Um, I, 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 I can completely yeah. see that happen. Imagine Craig, if you were tasked a month ago with hiring one developer whose job would be to build the highest traffic website for Corona, uh, uh statistics. That's a good. Would, a good would you pick? Would you pick the sixteen-year-old kid who did that? Mm -hmm. The worldometer.info, which is by far the highest traffic globally of all websites about Corona, was done at home by a sixteen-year-old kid. Do you think he would have gone through your job interview? Well, he should have because he did it right? yeah. without help on his own. Um, so I think the world of work is changing, and if you can focus your energy on must achieves as opposed to well, how many years of experience do you have? Uh, we're in actually a much better shape. Yeah, that's my kind of programmer, content developer, SEO expert. That's I, that's that's I'd, I'd hire that guy in yes. a minute. You know who he is? Because I, I may be calling him. <laughs> actually, I don't. I'm gonna blank on his name, but I, I watched a, I watched a, a TV show on him because he mm -hmm. actually now he became famous. Of course, like it, you type Google right. and you say COVID update. You have the Google uh, uh, plugin, and then right below, Worldometer is their number one result on Google across uh, across the world. And he uh, uh, and he actually, uh, so he had journalists come at his home, and his mom talks how she's proud of him, and the kids like, yeah, I was just trying to organize things in a bit better way. Yeah, thank you. I love it, and that's a great use of time. I mean, so kids right now, my, I've got three boys who you know don't have a school to go to. Um, they're basically shut in unless they go out to exercise. Uh, and they're online playing their games most of the time when they're not doing the modicum amount of homework that they're being assigned. 
uh, for you know remote schooling. And so I, I feel like we should, in the future, uh, as parents and as employers of uh, parents, uh, have some things ready to help kids be more productive, some creative things that they could be doing to actually you know, do the type of thing we were just talking about where they're doing something that's helping society, they're building something that can help build their future, uh, that sort of thing. And I, I'm constantly working on that with my kids. To, I, I give them these crazy assignments and uh, I need to personally be doing more of that because I hear them upstairs screaming, you know, playing their games with their friends. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you see the same thing at home. I, I do, I do. And you know what strikes me is the level of comfort uh, and positivity that comes out of the younger generation in learning new stuff and doing new things. Um, I'm, I'm amazed. And uh, I have two, two daughters. One is at college. The other one is here with me. And if we are going to do something and I'm like, have you done this before? And I'm like, and she's like, no. I'm like, okay, how are you going to do it? And she looks at me like I'm an idiot. And she goes, I don't know. I'll just look online and figure out how it's done. That's Within right. five minutes, she has like the seven different ways to bake this cake or to do this or to install this. Mm-hmm. And literally like, and you're like, oh yeah, this this self-education uh, is mm-hmm. I think a critical uh, thing that the newer generation has that this crisis is forcing us to have uh, yeah. more and more. And we're seeing that like one of the things we did uh, when the when the shelter in place took order is we said, oh, we're going to make the uh, Smart Recruiters Administration course. Uh, so it's like a two-day paid course uh, that, you know, the company has like one or two admin. They are the expert and they manage the platform. We said, we're going to do these online free. And they are instructor-led. You get your certificate at the end. Like it's a, it's a real new skill that you develop. I saw oh my it. God. Yeah. It's like we literally cool. were like hundreds of people have been signing up every time because these are still instructor led, so it's fifty people max. You can ask questions, and so it's a real course. And so we, we every time we open a new date, you, it's the buckets in, instantly full. So then we went to okay, let's cry, let's let's put online more content, and we created the Hiring Success Masterclass. Um, same thing. We like literally we had the first iteration of the Hiring Success Masterclass with over a thousand people signed up. And it, you, it's a six class course, six times two hours. And you, at the end, you actually get certified as a hiring success expert. You understand the methodology. You understand how to drive change in recruiting. Perfect, right? If you're a recruiter, you do not, you, you are at home. Either you've, uh, you're, um, you've uh, been transitioned out or you are in a hiring freeze or you are followed, then use this time to actually upskill yourself. Yeah, I think that's great. I So I've been through the, uh, hiring success, well, the uh, Smart Recruiters admin course, uh, because when I implemented Smart Recruiters at Allegiance Global Solutions uh, a couple of years ago, and I configured our career site and did all the you know, all the back end stuff. And what I love about it is it's remarkably easy, but that admin course is uh, is very helpful. So I love that you're giving this away. I love that you're doing the hiring success masterclass. It's great. Um, one of the things that uh, a comment from the audience was that we need to be better at screening people in and not out. And I think that the person who is good at self-education, as we're just talking about, is um, somebody that I want on my team, right? If they can go figure stuff out and we should be able to screen better for people that can do that. And I know some of the assessments are okay at it, but I think yeah. a lot of the um, sort of uh 
you know, day in the life of the job type of screening uh, is also really good. What are your ideas there? I think you screen people in uh, um, through multiple methods, but one of the things I've seen work well is behave like a marketer. And what I mean by this is um, how, how do marketers operate? You give them a market and a product, great. So they have something to sell, a job, and they have a market, which is the segment of talent that you're going after. So the first thing they would do is they start by segmenting their market and then understanding how does this market react and what are my best channels to reach this market. This is like marketing 101, something we don't apply too much in, in recruiting. Once you've segmented your talent, you can actually apply the right resources. For example, we had the case of somebody who was hiring data scientists, getting inundated with resumes that were uh, not relevant from advertising, picking up the phone on LinkedIn to try and find each person. This wasn't scalable. And then they suddenly said, okay, let me put a, create a web page and have a white paper like a marketer would do. Have a white paper with a lead capture form and the white paper was a data science white paper that actually uh, uh, their chief scientist had written. Next thing you know, they had a thousand downloads on the white paper. Now I, I ask you, who downloads a white paper about data science, right? A data scientist, right? And from this eight hundred, from this thousand people, they had a couple of questions like, "What technologies you like in data science?" They ended up with eight hundred qualified candidates. Run one webinar, two webinars, then ask the questions you guys want to work for me or for us. And within three weeks of starting this initiative, they had two hundred qualified applicants or qualified candidates that were ready to engage with their recruiters, right? So that one campaign outperformed the work of. Uh, probably 10 sources and definitely of the job advertising. So I 100% I, I agree. We have to uh, screen people in, not out. And I would ask the question, why would you advertise your job right now to anybody? Why not advertise your job only to people who are qualified, interested, interesting? How? So how do you pre-qualify? Should everybody be able to see any job and apply and be disappointed? Is it really, does it help people to actually spend their time filling in application forms and be rejected? No. On the contrary, if you were able to better capture people's interest and then say, oh, you are in a marketing career, you've done this, you've judged it up. Okay, great. Here is this week, we opened two new jobs that maybe you could be interested in. Like we need to be qualifying people before we allow them to apply or before we encourage them to apply, you can you obviously need to let people apply if they want to. But let's say for me, the reduction of uh, in, in inbound candidates is going to be uh, one of the major uh, work uh, for TA leaders in the coming year, years um, as you know, 500 resumes, 10 of them get through pre-screen, 490 we forget to answer. This is really not the way uh, to go. Yeah. And as you know, I lead a team that does uh, recruitment marketing and I'm very focused on, uh, you know, that sort of targeted approach uh, and not enough people understand it from my experience, unfortunately. Right. Uh, and, and you're exactly right. We make it too easy for people to apply. It's too easy to just click, 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 click. And so the reason we have to have uh, the sophisticated software to screen out all the applicants that aren't a fit is because we, we are not, I mean, 
us, right? Yeah. We're not we're not good enough for showing them the, the right. And way. when you and when you say that to people, uh, uh, they often say, "Great, that's why I'm going to put uh, friction in my apply process to have a lot of questions." Yeah, the problem is that screens out the good candidates, right? Because they don't have time for your questions. Uh, so right. you need to be a lot smarter at how you pre-qualify people before you actually show them jobs. That makes really good sense. So, uh, Jerome, you are. Um, fascinating as always when do you think we are going to be able to uh drink a beer together in person i think we could definitely drink a beer uh, uh, over zoom and uh, this may may have a different taste but it might be the taste of the future yeah. i think it's going to take some time um it's going to take some time and it's going to take time um for before the economy uh, re reignite itself i think it's going to take a lot of time and Therefore, it's it's a good time to not sit back, wait, and be sorry. It's a time to actually invest in yourself, to invest in your organization, to invest in your team. Um, and if you are a recruiter, millions, tens of millions of people are counting on you right now. Right. So if you're not busy uh, uh, because you are at home and you have no regs to fill, then pick a few friends who have lost their jobs and, and help them build a good resume. Run right. a mock interview with your cousin who is uh, uh, really in a bad place. Like start mentoring people, help them. This is what you do for a living. You're good at it, right? So do that. Oh, and if I may say, when, you when we finish this interview, please, anybody listening, go to your ATS and unpost the jobs that you're not hiring for, right? Pipelining is great, but you pipeline through a talent pool. Through, if you are interested, uh, let us know. We will contact you in the future. You do not pipeline with a fake job that you are not hiring for. This is the right thing to do. The hardest thing for people right now is to figure out, is this job real or is this not real? And I see a lot of recruiters out there like, oh, I'm just pipelining. No, 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 no. This is called fake advertising. It's a bad idea. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to, to your employer brand and you owe it to the candidate. So unpost your jobs inform the candidates, and then use your CRM to deploy talent pool. It's a perfect time to, to start pipelining talent. You should definitely do that, but not through jobs. And take some of that money you save on recruitment advertising and keep some of the people that you would otherwise have to furlough. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I want to make a couple of notes. Um, I know that uh, everyone should be going to buy their copy of Hiring Success. You can find it on Amazon, among other places. Yep. Um, I know that uh, Smart Recruiters has some resources posted for uh, recruiters and employers on their website, as does Allegis Global Solutions has a big uh, COVID-19 database of resources for uh, starting people back to work uh, and yep. among other things. Uh, so check that out at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. Uh, Jerome, uh, you know, I'm used to seeing you three or four times a year in person, and uh, it's just great seeing your face here. So thanks for being on with me today. Uh, yeah, very much thank you for it. having me, Craig. Really nice. Yeah, and thanks for letting us use your stream. Yes, <laughs> in my backyard. In your backyard, that's right. Okay, thanks, everybody. Great seeing thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Inside Talent. Learn more about the future of talent today at InsideTalent.org, where you can sign up for regular updates, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.